Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Judeans were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble, because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to the other disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. And many of the Judeans had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when Mary heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Judeans who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Judeans who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Judeans said, So how, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been there four days, been dead four days. Jesus said to her, 
Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When Lazarus said this, he cried out with a loud when Jesus had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound under strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Judeans, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I know it seems like I'm crying, but it's just allergies. Coincidental in light of my children's sermon, right? With the children. I have a friend from seminary who somehow always managed to incorporate a Disney reference into his sermons in our preaching class in seminary. Maybe you've seen the movie Lion King, The Lion King by Disney. I mean, it is a great film with legitimate moral life lessons. But finally, after the third time that this friend of mine included a reference to the Lion King in a sermon, our professor forbade him from ever doing it again. And to be honest, I found it funny and clever the first time, but like our professor, I began to find their references a bit far-fetched and irrelevant the second and third time around. And I'll say what I want about Josh and his references to the Lion King. I still can't come to this passage from Ezekiel and the Valley of Dry Bones without thinking of the scene from the elephant graveyard in the movie The Lion King. It is a tense and daunting scene where a young lion cub, Simba, Nala, and their babysitter, bird Zazu, wander in to find a forbidden land full of death and desolation, with danger lurking around every corner. It's the stuff night terrors are made of. Lord knows that we've all found ourselves in our own proverbial elephant graveyards a time or two, our own valleys of dry bones, maybe even now, whether it's because we are in this season of Lent, of looking inward at ourselves, reflecting on who we are and how we are devoting ourselves to returning to a right relationship with God. These places can feel, leave us feeling overwhelmed by the reality of death, our own mortality, or even for those that we hold dear. They are places of gloom and doom that one can easily become lost or even trapped within. But fortunately, for us, just like for the little lion cub and his friends in the Lion King, we have a very protective father who not only rescues us, 
but lifts us up out of the places of despair. Sometimes Lent can feel that way. A place of despair because of all the self-examination and sort of self-critical reflection that goes on during the season. Especially because we know that it was our sin that was the reason for Christ's suffering and death on that cross. But fortunately, we know it's not the end of the story for Jesus or for us. Neither are the dusty, dry bones of the valley from Ezekiel's vision, nor even the elephant graveyard, the end of the story. Because out of dust and death and decay comes life restored. It's easy and understandable to look at this valley of dry bones as apocalyptic, as a foreshadowing to the end times, But truly, its application in Ezekiel's context was meant as a metaphor. Yes, a prophecy, but a metaphor for hope in the midst of suffering. The prophet's vision came at a time for the people of Israel, just after Babylonian exile and rule, had taken over the Israelite kingdom under this king called Nebuchadnezzar. Ezekiel's vision is directly a metaphor for this exile, the death and dry bones, and a return from that exile when the Spirit breathes life into those bones again. Because in exile, in a foreign land, when you live as someone outside, you feel as bad as death at times. But when you're able to return home, maybe literally, but also figuratively, You have freedom again. You have life. You have breath. Enter your bones once more. That is what we hope this community is for you, if this is not your home. That it can breathe life into your dry bones again. But transforming from death to life is common and important characteristics of of God's people throughout the Bible, not just in this story. It is true both in metaphor and reality, because as Christians especially, it is a part of our very identity to constantly die and rise again. Dying to the old self of yesterday and rising anew and are waking to a life of service to others. And of course, as Christians, our identity is tied to the transformative real death and resurrection of Jesus, even though we haven't experienced it yet in our own bodily resurrection. It's something that we have to have faith in at this point, faith that God will raise us up on the last day and bring us to everlasting life with Christ and with all of God's beloved who have gone before us. This isn't to say that you hear stories of real resurrections today, either, but their credibility is questionable most of the time. The stories that do seem to be credible usually involve medical professionals who witness such miracles because they know the signs or lack thereof of life and death and are able to accurately check them 
These are stories that garner our attention the world over and are retold in poetic and even novel or movie form. You likely heard of these stories in some way, but these are stories that you hear when you hear about resurrection that involve a sense of hurt. A hurt that can impact more than just those who have died, but those who have loved them as well. One such story came from a small town in Minnesota in the United States years back when the sad news was released that a young high school girl had taken her own life. The family and friends of this girl belonged to a growing Christian fellowship in the area, and they began preaching that there was nothing to fear because she would be resurrected. Not in reference to the last day, like most Christian denominations say, or the second coming of Jesus, but they were telling her family and their congregants that within days she would be raised from the dead. To tell the end of the story first, they weren't able to resurrect her, as they promised. And the build-up to this only complicated matters for the family and friends in all of their unique grieving processes. I share this story to point out that understanding and celebrating our identity as a resurrected people is both powerful and yet a very delicate thing. And for both of these reasons, it is important to discuss and understand. When we lose the ones we love in death, we want nothing more for them to be raised again. Like one member of a Bible study shared in the past, when someone dies, we don't grieve that they have died, but that they are no longer around to be in relationship with. So we long for resurrection all the more. But until that time, that we do not know, when God will raise us and all to eternal life, we only know what it means to wait, to long for that day. With faith through the power of the Spirit, we have what it takes to wait, to hope to endure the longing of our hearts, to be reunited with those who have died. No matter how difficult it can be, no matter how lonely it can make us feel. That's why the story of Lazarus' resurrection seems quite strange to us, and even to the closest family and friends of Jesus in this story. If we heard that our dearest family member or friend was near death, we wouldn't wait a few days to go and see them knowing full well that they might die before we got there, if we did wait. Yet Jesus waited, all for the sake of the Son of God being glorified, as he says right at the beginning of the passage. And as the big picture of the text lets on, it's still really unfortunate that it all happened to poor Lazarus and those close to him. Perhaps Lazarus was willing to be a tool in God's glory to help show the power of Jesus as Messiah, the saving one. Perhaps not. We don't know because he never gets to say anything. 
The fact that Jesus shows emotion in this passage leaves readers with a mixture of reactions. It can leave some with questions of legitimacy about God's power. Is it problematic for God to show emotion? Was it even fair for Christ to weep after choosing to wait two days before going to see Lazarus, knowing fully that he had died or was going to die? Why would Jesus weep if he knew that Lazarus wasn't Lazarus' death wasn't the end? A lot of questions come out of such an encounter, such an important story. And I'm sure that even though it was God's plan of glory that Lazarus die from an illness and be raised again, that still there was hurt and suffering involved. Even though the outcome wasn't death in the end, it was enough for people to be moved to tears because of the love they had for their brother, for their friend. Jesus' tears are tears of compassion for those who suffer in this story. We suffer in the same way Lazarus did. So Jesus weeps just as much for you and me. If we believe in the outcome of the resurrection, we can still weep for the suffering of death that will come to us all. As we witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus, we do the same for us. We have hope that through the suffering, we will see the light, the light of a life everlasting with God. Texts like this show us many things, that emotions that we feel when we lose loved ones are always appropriate, be it tears, grief, anger and grief, frustration and grief, all of them should make us feel that we can be, remain connected to God. And as we inch closer and closer to the end of this Lenten pilgrimage to the resurrection of Easter, I pray that you all may be filled with the goodness of God that walks with you through each and every experience of this life. Through death to life. Amen.